0: I am Kevin. I am Giovanna. I am adventurous.
1: I am dreamer. I
0: am creative. I am wine. I am dance. I am
1: entrepreneur. I
0: am musician. I am privileged. I am activist. I am podcast. Learning.
1: Growing. Inspiring.
0: Welcome to the I
2: Am Podcast. We are so excited to start this new series with this amazing, amazing, amazing musician, human being and just super talent. Um, we're not going to give you his name yet because we're going to do a formal introduction, but we are so excited to have you here in the studio. Well, not in the studio because we can't do in the studio, but <laughs> here in virtual,
0: <laughs> in virtual land.
3: <laughs> I feel like I'm with you guys.
0: Aww. Aww. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about our special guest. So he has worked and toured with such artists as Cheryl Crow. James Taylor, Jason Mraz, Frank Ocean, Smokey Robinson, Alanis Morissette, Mana, Willie Nelson, Tim McGraw, and just countless others. Um, For the past 15 plus years, he has um, been the musical arranger, a composer, and house band member of the Jimmy Kimmel Live Show. (laughs) And backed up countless rock, pop, and jazz artists on the show. He's also been the touring musical director for Martin Short since 2002. He can be seen on the Steve Martin and Martin Short's Emmy-nominated Netflix special, which we kind of checked out, which is super fun. And in addition to television, our guest has contributed to many film scores like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Superbad, Toy Story 4, Frozen 2, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I love that movie. Jack Reacher 2 gosh, if we're not already impressed, this guest has also put out five solo albums under his own name. Wow. And the most recent being El Musico. So he is an in-demand recording musician, keyboardist, composer, producer, and arranger. Please welcome Mr. Jeff Babco.
3: I could listen to that all day. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, not amazing. even half of it. I, I mean, you just it, picked it a little bit. Going. Here I like this. How am I not working right now? <laughs> <laughs> How did I find an hour?
0: Thanks for being with us, Jeff. Thank you so Thanks for much having for having me here. Wish I could share a cup of coffee or some wine with you. But, we,
1: we are yeah. we are just just for it's, it's not too early for wine. Go. He's got it.
3: <laughs> you'd see in. Jeff napping if, the, if it was right. this early like, wow is he actually sleeping <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jeff I'm for me honestly I'm still like processing all of that because I know you I know you as Jeff actually you know Sangha's husband <laughs> the mm-hmm. pianist yeah. and Erica read all of that and I was like what? It's it's just amazing because I know you as just this really awesome 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 person who's just so sweet, humble. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And, yeah, and incredibly oh, talented. Thanks, jaw-dropping. We want to just know a little bit about you and your background. Like how did you get into music? Was it just you're you're just a natural you picked it up? Did your parents push you? Just tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Sure. Well, first of all, I wish that that was in my bio, that I was Song's husband and, and humble, because those are actually the coolest parts about being in my skin, you know? It's like, that's an awesome resume, but that's those things are the closest to my heart. So the humility and the being in the family and being the real person in our lives is, is kind of the most dear part. And all that other stuff is an extension of that. And then going back to your question, yeah, music was built in it was in there uh you know it was one of those in the unboxing that was part of the package i remember getting a copy of talking book stevie wonder on my i imagine it was my 4th birthday cuz i know we moved after that and i remember opening the package <laughs> and i remember being fascinated with the record with the cover with stevie's picture there's a Frickin' nap flying around here, and you're going to see me look like I
2: haven't
3: <laughs> lost swatting my mind. swatting
2: randomly. I, I, I haven't lost, but he's
3: really... There he is. I, got, I didn't he see that You're going to um, Miyagi that guy. I, yeah, that's, that's coming. Um, and my dad had a, a really rickety, Wurlitzer, upright, like, spinet piano in the office, and I was always just drawn to that piano, drawn to his record collection, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, The Crusaders... Not my mom's spins so much. She was into John Denver and The Carpenters. And I remember going, not <laughs> feeling those jams. As not much. My jam. Although, <laughs> although I remember I really was into Captain and Tennille. Somebody gave me the Captain and Tennille Love Will Keep Us Together record. And that kind of was a bridge because it had a little like funky, like spunkiness on it with the captain's like clavinet and stuff. But it was a little like, you know, um, so that was kind of the bridge between mom and dad. You know, dad, like the Crusaders, like stuff, Ramsey Lewis, stuff with like a little bit of soul. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ramsey was my first guy as a piano player. Ramsey Lewis, for sure. The Sound of Christmas, Every Christmas was like, dude, just keep that on. Love Ramsey Lewis. That's
2: what we've been listening to. That's been on the playlist for like a week right now.
3: Forget (laughs) about it. The Sound of Christmas is my favorite Christmas record ever. And. I love that there's a song, I think it's called The Christmas Blues, where it's his, just a blues, and they put sleigh bells on it. It's, hey, look, it's Christmas. Like <laughs> <laughs> Christmas. Sleigh bells um, like so true, though. <laughs> so music was in there. Really, my parents, you know, my dad was a music teacher. My mother's father was a music teacher. My mother played piano, plays piano. My dad plays a lot of instruments. Being kind of a band director, you had to learn all the instruments. So he kind of, we had a trombone in the house, so when I had to join the band, like you're getting grandma's trombone. Oh, okay. I didn't, I thought I may have a choice. <laughs> so it just was in there. And my parents periodically, especially my dad would kind of every couple of years or so would say, you know, you don't need to follow this down the path. You can do other things. And it, all oh, every time he kind of gave me the option, I would kind of double down on the fact that I was going into music. And and we talked about this maybe last week with my, my father. I was, I told him how much I appreciated being given the offer to do other things. And it was mostly out of his concern for realizing how difficult it was to make it in music. He's saying, listen, I know you love music, but it's not the only path. And every time he, he put that out there, I'd go, yeah, I think it's the only path for me. And then I'd work extra hard to follow that, that down the path, you know, it's like, all right, what do I have to do to make that be my way? But I, but I think it was, really helpful for me to realize there were other versions of life so i wasn't it wasn't out of you know this is all i know i I tried other things it was just the only thing that was gonna work for me but i think now as we enter a new phase in life you know i'm a i'm not the young guy i still am in some bands thank god but i'm not 28 i still feel like realizing there's other stuff out there is a helpful and, and really healthy way of looking at it but i still love music the fact that that's my connection to it and it's also what I get to do for a living is like super awesome. My dad, like in college, he was like, why don't you try? Well, I always had straight jobs. Like when I turned 14, I worked at Magic Mountain and I took pictures of like I always had to get jobs like, OK, you have to learn that you're not going to just get to do this necessarily. So although I was doing like a $40 play the piano at the ranch house in for the the elderly people from the church and playing church gigs too. I always had jobs like you're gonna need to figure out what it's like to work. So in college, my dad said, Why don't you try r like see if you can be an intern at a at a record company because you love records so much. I said, Okay, I'll try it out. Yeah. So I put on a suit, right? <laughs> I lived at my record store as a kid. I grew up in Santa Clarita, which was then called like New Hall or Valencia. Yeah. I, I lived yes. I lived yeah, yeah, at the record yeah, yeah. store, yeah. Temple Records, like every day after school. That's where I was until, because you could do that when you were 12 in those days. Yeah. Your parents didn't worry about you. So I would just, yeah. they would literally go, the employees would know I knew the stock mostly better than they did. So I, I was kind of almost a worker there. For, and they'd give me cassettes and promos and stuff as, as payment. But uh, <laughs> since uh, I love records so much, "Get why don't you try this over the summer of like 91, I think. I worked at Sony Records AR for the summer as an intern three days a week, driving from Santa Clarita out to Santa Monica when they had their office there.
1: Oh, 20th. And, was that 20th in Colorado? Absolutely. That's right. Yes. I worked in that area too. That's crazy. It's now, I can't
3: remember, BMG maybe or something,
1: but. Yeah, it's changed. So much has changed. Yep. There.
3: But that was the building. I'd report there that Randy Jackson was head of AR yeah. and um <laughs> i would either answer phones for Randy or I'd float and answer for the assistants. And, but when, at my interview, dad said, you wear a suit to an interview. All right. So I put on this horrible, like, you know, what suit do you have at 19? So it's like a <laughs> knit, like maroon tie a gray jacket that doesn't work with an almost gray pant. Like none of it worked. And and this guy comes into my interview and he, it's 91, right? So it's hair metal is, is King. Nirvana hasn't happened yet. So it's this hair metal. And then Randy is working with Penny Ford at the time. And it's like Mariah is also queen. So Mariah is queen of Sony. Bruce Springsteen is King um, and hair metal. And they don't have Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses is on Mickey yeah. But everybody in that building is trying to find the next Guns N' Roses. And it's not going to happen. Spoiler oh alert, gosh. it's not going to happen. Right? Nirvana's going to come and it's all going to be over. And they're still going to be chasing Guns N' Roses. Right, right? So so I'm there in my suit. This guy comes in full-on Aquanet hair and tattered jeans and a, and a tank top. I'm in my bad suit. Right? And he goes, wow. dude, Babka, what wow. are you doing here? And I'm like... <laughs> but i felt like i was naked in my dream like like, like uh, it was the guy in, my store in valencia like he now worked at sony it was like one of the guys that worked the register at temple wow. records he's working he was a big guns and roses guy and i think he might have signed faster pussycat or something so benji is the guy i'm like oh, i don't have to wear suits, dude wait no yeah I give him the job so they're all summer and um I learned a lot about the record business. Uh, It was still pretty healthy then. You know, iTunes hadn't come. Napster hadn't come. So it was a lot of money, Mm. right? And Randy wasn't there very much because he was either working Mariah, he was either playing with Mariah, working her record, or trying to break this artist, Penny Ford. Um, Mm. So he was only in there maybe once a week that I'd see him. But you'd see a Bob Dylan walk in. You'd see Eddie Money walk in and maybe lose his deal. Wow. Like, you'd see him walk in, like, And then walk out kind of, you know, so it was fascinating. I mean, so, yeah, so I worked there and I learned a lot about kind of the heartbreak and the promise of the record, like getting a big deal. There was a guy, Al Pryor, that worked there in the jazz department. And he, I had a demo tape that I made with this group I was working with at a coffee house in Valencia. I made this demo tape and I said, I'm going to bring my demo tape to Al Pryor. I'm going to get signed. And it was kind of the Marsalis days. Yeah. I'm going to get signed. And he sat me down and he told me why that wouldn't get signed. And although I was, I think, a little miffed at the time, he was absolutely right. He knew what the market was looking for, he knew what I had and what I didn't have. He was super straight up with me. He brought me into his office and explained why. And I really appreciated that. That's really interesting. So it was a cool time. And we, and all of us interns also amazing. knew where the stock room was. There was a stock room with cassettes and CDs. Of all the Sony artists, yep. and that's what they'd give like people coming into meetings as kind of treats. But we just we figured we weren't getting paid, we'd take our own <laughs> treats. So I got all of the Miles discography. I got all like anything on Sony, oh, wow. Sly, all that stuff. Yeah. I just went ahead. We did get caught, and we were told Ooh. maybe not, to, not to uh, pillage
1: anymore. <laughs> yeah,
2: that was the end of that job.
1: Yeah. Oh my god.
0: So seeing the negative side of the industry, did that discourage you from pursuing music at all? No,
3: it, it, it's interesting. Like my dad's kind of options, it kept making me go further that direction. It's like, OK, I got to work extra hard. So when I did graduate college and moved back here full time yes. to L.A., I just I had, you know, I'm at Kinko's every day making flyers for my little jazz band to Kinko's. To those listening was a copy center where right. you could <laughs> those days. And and I'm, like, making flyers and getting a headshot and, like, anything to try to stay, like, because I did realize, I was was only 22, but I realized there are a lot of guys that can play here and play great. It's like the best of the best are here or Mm -hmm. New York at that time. So why would anybody hire me? There's 60 people that do what I do and have more experience and are probably maybe better than me. So I had to make myself present myself as a new like, there's a guy that we don't know about. And so I started hiring guys that were working to try to get my name in. You know, I wanted to play with them, but also, like, I need to get my name in the conversation. A lot of people would move to L.A. and so oh, it didn't work for me. Well, how did they know you were there? Well, I practiced in my apartment all the time, and I really knew people like this. Like, well, they're not going to discover <laughs> you practicing in the corner of your yeah. apartment. You might be really good, but no one's going to know right. about you. Exactly. Um, so unfortunately I didn't practice yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, but I did I was at Kinko's a lot and I became part of the kind of scene and then I got a tour right away and so I was kind of straddling touring and having a little jazz group here. And so I kept kind of like doubling down and like That's all awesome. right if it's not going to work because I'm good enough only I got to figure out how to be good enough and find my way in, find my way to be recognized. Yes
0: persistence is key in this business and most people give up
1: and I love the fact that you you, you got to be strategic if you want to know where you're gonna you're trying to end up you've got to know the people that are working the networking is is a huge part people do business with people that they know and like and and you found a way to be good and become that likable guy which you are naturally I mean obviously you made your way That's
3: yeah and also like thank you and and also I'm trying to turn off the air. Um, also you're getting a window into my world um, as you said that I realized like I had a lot of loves growing up like YouTube's amazing because we can get any information we want at all times and for young musicians young anything you can get but I had to go to the video depot in Lions Avenue and discover, whatever video was available Mm -hmm. of so-and-so or go to the library and check out records literally check out records or go down the street to my neighbor's house who had rolling stones tattoo you bring it home study it before his brother found out i had the record and bring it back or or (laughs) tape records and study. you know i valued all that information so part of like going to the music uh, started the videos or taping like vhs taping saturday night lives because i like the musical guests and i also was a big fan of comedy and I didn't realize all that was going to play into my life, mm. but I was collecting data that whole time mm. and 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 really trying to store it in a way. And I didn't, you know, when I auditioned for Martin Short in '99, his brother was auditioning me, and he said, "Oh, do you know this character?" I knew all the characters, not because I thought I was going to have to work with him, but because I loved them, and I, and I I was able to recall the music just because I was a nerd, but but also I I, I didn't realize I was collecting data for a reason. I just, I just was. And then when called into action, I had to be able to access that information. So yeah, I think it's really for young people. It's amazing to have this wealth of information available. Mm -hmm. There's so much of it, right, that we don't, I don't know how easy it is for a young person with a wealth of endless information to hold certain information dear Mm -hmm. enough to really let it absorb yeah. into their kind yeah. of experience and you don't have to their...
0: work as hard as we did back in the day <laughs> to yeah. get yeah. this information
3: it's so, so true yeah. and i think that quest for knowledge and that hunger for information that we had like it makes it that much more precious to us yeah. and, exactly. and, and and you kind of weed out what like what i didn't like or didn't get i would weed it out kind of and maybe come back to it you right. know there's music i didn't get when i was young or Comedy I didn't get or, you know, and, and, and I appreciate it. I was like, I don't think I get that yet. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll come back to you, you know, and, and <laughs> I may still not get it. But a lot of it I, I wasn't ready for, you know,
0: it's a great segue to the next question I have, because uh, we watched that Netflix special with Martin Short and <laughs> Steve Martin. and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't know you that well. And I didn't know how funny you are.
1: <laughs> You're oh, just a natural
0: thanks. comedian. And yeah. to get that opportunity is so awesome. But it, was it always natural for you to, to be on stage and be in front? Just that comedic timing and all of that. Did it come natural for you?
3: That's me using my comedic timing. I thought I could a pause. <laughs> yeah, you I know. Walk. You that did that it earlier
0: long. and I was like, did he
2: freeze? I you <laughs> you, had, you, you, thing in you well, had us there. You had us.
3: I, uh, I love comedy. <laughs> I think comedy related to me much like music because of the timing. I've often told Marty short, how Marty. all comedians <laughs> love him. And I think he has a, he has a natural musical way. Like all my musician friends love him. And, and he has a thing just to kind of, he looks at everything with a bit of a wink. And I think my favorite musicians do the same thing. Like we're always kind of aware of our surroundings and kind of like, that you know kind of we know what's going on Mm -hmm. uh thing that he has i always related to that in comedy i always related to the uh not taking things too seriously but but also just kind of look 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 at what we're dealing like you'd find the ones in the band or the orchestra or whatever that got it and you're kind of like it's really tough with masks now right because it's all (laughs) eyes. you can't you can't mouth you so I recognize that I always loved SNL as a as a kid, but I always loved David Letterman too. Those were my when I discovered Letterman, I've talked about this a lot, but I felt like when I discovered Letterman, it 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 was late for me, so I had to tape it and watch it before school the next morning when I discovered it when I was like twelve. And I watched it and there was a spiral staircase and there it was 30 rock, but it was it was a pretty small room. And you felt like you were watching guys like just out of college, just being funny because they liked what they were doing and they weren't trying to please like it was Carson was for my parents. Mm -hmm. And I grew to appreciate that later. But this was like for their age. It was like, hey, we're just trying this out. And I liked that. I felt like you were getting a window into like just these really smart people. And the band for me on Letterman, the first band was Steve Jordan and Hiram and and Willie. And, Paul Schaefer, who I knew from the Blues Brothers record that my dad had, that was like, they were playing Booker T and the MGs and they were playing like stacked stuff and, and, and even rock songs, but instrumental. And I love the snap of Steve Jordan's snare. And I just thought, dude, that's, that's for me. And, Mm -hmm. and that comedy, the music, everything from that show just became a part of my, Mm -hmm. the fabric of who I was. And then, And then meeting Marty, I was able to, you know, meet a lot of these guys. And I've hung with Dave, not a lot, but I've been able to share with Dave how much the show meant to me. That makes him uncomfortable, but it made me very thankful to get to give that back. I've had a lot of, the couple experiences I've had with Dave were were really intimate. And so he was at at least a little bit off of his, where he had to be protective. Mm -hmm. So we had some really good moments. Not that he'd remember, but I sure treasure them. And I've had a lot. I mean, Paul Schaefer is one of my closest pals and confidants and mentors. And he's been great to me. And I, I once, uh, for a Marty gig in Bedford, New York, we stayed at Paul's instead of going to a hotel. And I, I always take a red eye. And I I, I got in at like 40. So just let yourself into the guest house. Here's what you do. Oh, Okay. So I let myself in. <laughs> and And I woke up at 6 a.m. to Paul checking if everything was okay. And it was the weirdest, like, I don't know if I'm in a dream state or wow. why am I seeing a bald head coming to check if I need it? Like is everything. All right, sir. I'm, I, I don't know what is happening right, right. now. The, the <laughs> so yes, comedy was always part of my awareness. And I, I think it's part of my music. Even just the way I hear and absorb information is always with a little bit of a wink and a, a smile comedy. I, I've always felt really, um, really close to that part and so working with Marty we, we we got very tight very quickly and started touring together pretty much right after the first show that I did with him and then through that I met Paul and 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 all of that gang the scTV guys and I, I've gone to SNL just to hang out with those guys sometimes and and then uh, when Steve came into the fold with us and we kind of joined forces and tour, I saw Steve's con Steve Martin's concert yeah. with his bluegrass band uh, the steep canyon rangers at, at the fantages with with my wife and i just remember coming away from that that was probably like 2011 or yeah probably 2011 and i just remember thinking that was one of the best shows i've ever seen mm-hmm. it was yeah. this beautiful arc of entertainment there was music and then if you got tired of bluegrass music which people do <laughs> there'd be a joke or there would be a there'd be it was so perfectly like nobody constructs a show like that anymore it was like oh my god that was a show like i wanted to it it was just so beautifully orchestrated so i was ready for steve when he came into our fold and i was told that he's very serious about his craft and i had become aware of that so i kind of entered steve's world and i tried to be an an audience into his process Uh and then when he was ready to bring me in to the comedy part I just tried to be ready to see how that timing was. It's much like everything in music. You try to kind of read what's going on mm-hmm. and see where you fit in. And and that sometimes means you're more of an accompanist and that sometimes means you need to step out. So I had to kind of find a character in that show that, that you guys saw on the Netflix. My character is something that we all have worked on. Mm-hmm. I remember Reggie Watts coming up to me at a, at a festival when I was just playing with Marty. <laughs> and he said, uh, this is years ago, and he said, Man, I love your character on stage, and I hadn't realized that I was a character, but I totally am playing a character—a um, version of myself. But it's this kind of self-centered musician that's waiting for his moment, and it's never going to come. But he is holding out hope that that everyone is as interested in his. Nobody's there to see me at that show ever, and, and people, oh, that's not—it's true. Like, but that guy is so. This poor guy is like so ready for his moment and nobody could care any less about his, you're just, you're just an accompanist. But I love that guy. Like, I love that guy. He's so happy to be there. And he feels like it's his moment to share. And, and I love him so much. Um, and I love that I'm able to contribute. I think we're gonna have to do a whole other interview right? just with him. Oh, yeah. He's a lovely guy. We'll invite him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a to good show. guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> he means well. And then to feel like, you know, there's a lot of hangs on the on tour and the hangs really inform what happens on stage, as you guys know, one one serves another and and you know, the concerts you see that don't really happen. Yeah, I have a feeling The Hang's not great either. And conversely, <laughs> it's the opposite.
1: Yeah, and the hang, the hang always
3: informs what happens on stage. Right. Mm-hmm. So The Hangs with Stephen, Marty and the Rangers really informed what became the Netflix special. And my comfort level with Steve, you know, I know what makes him laugh now in a room. So I can kind of, I know what makes him laugh at rehearsal. I can use that. And then it made me pretty comfortable to 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 sit with these legends and and just, you can't overstep, but you can step in enough. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's just like being in a band. It's just exactly. like being in a band.
0: But I think it's amazing that you, you studying all those years as a kid prepared you for this moment.
3: Yeah. No question.
2: I mean, yeah. you were a big Martin Short fan before you mm-hmm. even, I mean, when that audition came along, is it something where you were like, oh, <gasps> I have to do this. this is I, It's calling me. Or is it somebody, just, was it just a phone
3: call? It was a really weird call. Uh, I came back from a tour with the guitarist, Robin Ford, in Europe, and I was getting really dark on that tour. And we were doing a lot of blues festivals, and I love the blues. But a summer of blues will give you the blues. And I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was at the Jazz Cafe in, in London, and I was upstairs in the dressing room, and I decided I'd go to Camden Town And buy some hair dye, and I decided I'd dye my hair before the show. And it turned pink, which wasn't my intention. So, but it was pink for those shows. And I thought, okay, I'll use that. And I came back from that tour, and my hairs, so I said, pink doesn't work. So, whoever was cutting my hairs, let's try blue. So now I have blue hair. And uh, I go to coffee with Toshi, who's the guitar player at Kimmel. He was one of my best friends. And I said, Toshi, what are you doing? He had just finished. The Vibe Show, which was a TV show that Quincy Jones produced, oh, wow. a late oh, night wow. show that Sinbad was then hosting. That show had ended. Toshi was in the house band with Phil and Gaines, and and Toshi says, "Oh, I'm in, I'm in another house band." I'm like, dude, how do you land these house band gigs over and over? He's like, "I I don't know." And I said, "What's the show? Martin Short show." He told me who's in the band. Of course, I'm like instantly. I love Marty as as a performer. I was like. How did everyone get this? How did I not get this call? Of course, I'd been in Europe getting frustrated. I, I wouldn't have been able to take the call anyway. And and I got a call just when I got home from that coffee with Tosh. And and they said it, it was a call from production saying we're auditioning keyboard players for the Martin Short Show. And I was so green that I said, oh, no, it's already covered. Sort of like,
1: Because
3: <laughs> he told me who was in the band. And I was, I don't know, you don't do that. So the, the whoever the woman was, it said, um, it's been uncovered, sir. If you'd like to come to center staging, like, oh, somebody got canned. Uh, so, uh, all right. So I go over to center staging and I met with his brother, and and that's how it happened. I was really, I was really upset not to have been considered for that gig. But as fate turned out, when I stepped in, I was ready for it. I knew all the band guys just from gigging here in LA, so that was a plus. Yeah, I had okay. done a record with Peter Michael Escovito, who had who was the MD. Sheila's brother, Pete's son, and Will Kennedy was the drummer. And I knew Will from a bunch of gigs here. So I was pretty, and Toshi, of course, I was pretty comfortable when they all walked in. They're all like, Bamba, what are you doing here? I "I guess I'm on this thing. I don't really know. It's kind of weird. But it was, it was, uh, it was pretty comfortable. Um, So yeah, I was ready. I was ready when, when Mike Short started asking me questions about Marty's characters. Again, I, I didn't know I had been doing research my whole kind of young adult life, but yeah. apparently I have.
2: Well, it's so amazing.
1: <laughs> there seems to be this child, this kid in you that you just never let go of. Like the one thing that happens as we get older, you know, there's things that we feel like we can't continue to pursue. But I just hear and see you, the things that make you go, wow, I love that. You just absorb them. You just ran towards them. You put them in your pocket. And that that, as you said, accumulated and just played out for you later. Because that passion, obviously, the people that are involved in these things, when they hear your passion, that's also the love and the connection that's made when they're like, "Wow, this guy mm-hmm. gets it! Like he and he loves it." And it's and it's just natural for you because you already know everything about it. Yeah, there's still you know? like a
0: childlike excitement for what you do, and you're
1: not bitter. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah,
3: yeah. Your work is still your playground. Oh, I, I, really I, I you got me on a good morning. I can be bitter too. You're getting a good <laughs> oh, we all can. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's all about that mix, right? You can't have all bitter. That will make you pee make you
2: yeah. um, the B sides. But yeah, years. you're
3: absolutely right. And and Marty has that same childlike wonder. And it, there's, there's that fine line. I just watched a documentary on Bobby Keys, who's the saxophone player from the Rolling Stones. And mm. he says something funny. He says, You know, we all kind of find what we love when we're like 16. And a lot of us, like we kind of stay there. <laughs> really, yeah. Like a lot of rock and rollers or whatever, kind of stay at their maturity level at 16. And the trick is to, for me, is to find that childlike wonder and that passion, mm-hmm. and not let that mute and or or be trampled upon by the business, the business. Yeah. which yes. is trickier and trickier as we get older. But also to mature in other ways and try to go. Okay, yeah, I can leave that there and let that be like a a sourdough like that's that's constantly (laughs) keeping alive but also to learn as we go and be the perpetual student and and mature in the other ways so we can keep that little globule of passion and childlike wonder alive but also be like growing around it and Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and hopefully becoming better humans and and grown-ups and parents and Absolutely. world citizens in at the same time <laughs> yes. that's the tricky part like some people like the childlike wonder becomes their whole life and they don't really develop and and or become responsible and it's it's tricky it's a tricky uh, balance but
2: and vice versa some people completely lose their that wonder
1: that i i really am kind of blown away just all of these things that you're 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 busy you don't have time to sleep, man. You have so many things you're trying to accomplish. You're considering family, life, work. I mean, like you said, some people just dive into work and then their their your family fails because of it or whatever. But like, where do you think you got those ideas from? And then what have you learned? What advice would you give to other people on trying to find ways to, to balance that? That's a great,
3: great question. Honestly, it's funny you mentioned sleep. I found like literally this year, COVID year, sleep is really part of what, makes me better during the day. So I was just talking to my wife about it yesterday. Like I had to close my eyes for 10 minutes yesterday. I'm like, why am I fighting this? I'm super tired. Like, so I'm trying to listen to my body more as I get old and like listen to what it needs. If it's exercise, if it's sleep, if it's taking care of it, because I'm only going to be a vessel of good in my circle or in the world if I'm, yes, taking care of myself. So trying to do that, honestly, learning from, a bunch of failures is, is a lot of it. Like when I failed, like going, is there a takeaway from this? Now there's certain times where there's just a, it's just a fail and you can go, okay, you win some, you lose some, but there's some, it's like, why did that fail? Is that my beyond my control? Or is it something that I directed to happen? And, and, trying to be mindful during those moments like or after the fact like when you're doing the the uh, wrap up show on your on your <laughs> your wins and losses you're like um, yeah. <laughs> i think i could have done that differently or did i handle that the best yeah. or even pausing before i react or respond um that's tricky for those of us in improvisation and music and stuff where we're like always ready to kind of like go with the moment it's like mm-hmm. yeah, but maybe wait a moment before you go with that you know if it's professional <laughs> or um so just trying to be aware constantly okay. and be – I guess also like if I were to do a musical analogy, like I learned a while ago, like a lot of us jazzer kind of guys are guys that – that are people that love to, to improvise. Mm-hmm. Like we're constantly looking for the next great thing to play in the moment and like how can I contribute and we're forgetting that we're listeners first or we're members of a bigger – band of or so so yeah, listening is a actually at
2: one point are you all
3: right. we are all accompanists exactly right <laughs> yeah. and he, and if you have a, contribu- a contribution like that's a lick or a something mm-hmm. that should only serve the music that shouldn't be because you thought it was cool in that moment only like mm. if it serves the music that's really exciting yeah and that can be a really powerful statement but it's like that first debate right it's like it can't be uh it can't just be everyone jumping in at like picking our moments, and, and it took me a lot longer to realize that than I wish it, it had. Um, yeah, But yeah, it's it's much about, like music is so much about listening and and not about just what we're playing, and, and I, I find that everywhere in, in, in my life. So true, Golden Nuggets y'all, that's what this season is all about, I Am The Band,
2: where we sit down and interview some incredible musicians, artists, the people behind the music that
0: you
1: love. Yes, so if you love what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe. We have a great lineup of guests coming up. I Am Podcast Season 2, I Am The Band, continuing with Jeff Babco next week. All right, y'all.
2: Thank you for listening. Interested in starting your own podcast? Visit us at iammusicgroup.com.